Daybreak Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, November 1st. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Gambia approaches ECOWAS for a hybrid court to try alleged crimes committed during Yaya Jame's administration. Gambian domestic courts do not have jurisdiction to try some of the offenses that uh, were alleged in the GRC report. We needed an arrangement that will bring to bear the international jurisdiction for some of the crimes to be prosecuted. Kenya's president demands an end to extrajudicial killings by police. Protesters in the DRC show support for their government's fight against the M23 rebels. We will speak with the founder of a Zambian group defending women and girls, the Mwala Fumo Foundation. Eswatini students march on the education ministry to defend the president of the National Teachers Association. My salary was stopped this month. Uh, I was not paid. So in support of the students and the teachers and also the mass democratic movement, we decided to march to Mbabame to demand the salary from the government. And we will tell you the names of the three finalists in the first annual Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. has asked the Economic Community of West African States ECOWAS to set up a hybrid court to prosecute alleged crimes against humanity committed during former President Yaya Jame's administration. The country's Attorney General and Justice Minister Dauda Jalo was in Abuja, Nigeria on Monday to discuss Gambia's need with ECOWAS officials. A year ago, Gambia's Truth, Reconciliation and Reparation Commission recommended the prosecution of persons who bore the greatest responsibility for human rights violations and abuses during the Jame administration. Jalo tells me the ECOWAS hybrid court is needed because Gambia's domestic courts do not have jurisdiction to try some of the crimes allegedly committed under Jame's rule. This is going to be the beginning of formal engagements with the ECOWAS Commission. I just came out of a meeting with the president of the ECOWAS Commission and his team, and uh, we started discussions on the modalities of cooperating between the Gambia and Senegal to set up a possible hybrid court for the trial of the TRRC offenses. You say you just came out of a meeting. What was the reception? What the feedback from ECOWAS? Uh, in principle, um, we have not forwarded to them a formal request yet. This is a formal engagement to indicate to them our intention of choosing ECOWAS as our closest ally and coming together and partnering with them to do this undertaking. And uh, the feedback is, uh, in principle, this is, was well received by the Commission President and his staff, and we are now going to explore together to bring this to fruition. So the Gambia will now have to formally uh, write and make a request, and ECOWAS will respond accordingly, and then we will move forward. So, Mr. Attorney General, I'm wondering, and I'm sure people out there may be wondering, why ECOWAS? Why not the Gambia? Um, Gambian domestic courts do not have jurisdiction to try some of the offenses that uh, were alleged in the TRC report. Uh, we needed an arrangement that will bring to bear the international jurisdiction for some of the crimes to be prosecuted. Uh, as a result, we needed an international ally. In that regard, ECOWAS is our closest ally, 
but also ECOWAS have been accompanying the Gambia since 2017 when the former dictator left power. You would understand that ECOMIC, the ECOWAS special forces are still in the Gambia, but you will also understand that ECOWAS member countries may have vested interest in our transitional justice program uh, because some West African nationals were also massacred in the Gambia some years ago. And uh, this accountability that we are pursuing for those who bear the greatest responsibility of those violations, ECOWAS and ECOWAS member countries have a vested interest in the process. So there are a lot of uh, areas that makes ECOWAS the most ideal partner in this endeavor. As you know, uh, the former president, Yaya Jamen, is in Equatorial Guinea. Do you think uh, you will seek for Equatorial Guinea to extradite him if the court is set up? Of course, yes. Uh, when we get to that point, yes, definitely. Uh, you know, generally, criminal trials cannot be held in absentia, especially considering the kind of crimes we are looking at here. Of course, yes, when the court is properly constituted, all necessary steps will be taken to extradite the former president to face justice. What is the mood in the Gambia in terms of prosecuting these crimes that you're talking about? What's the mood? Generally, people want to see justice served, and the government is committed to doing that. Of course, you would not discount the fact that uh, the former president may still have some loyalists in the country, and uh, they wouldn't be happy to see him face justice. But I think generally everybody agrees that if people commit crimes, especially crimes of this nature, it's just fair enough that they're held to account for the crimes they've committed. Mr. Attorney General, thank you so much. Uh, we are so happy to talk with you. Thank you very much for having me. That was Dauda Jalo, Gambia's Attorney General and Justice Minister, speaking with us from Abuja, Nigeria. Kenyan President William Ruto said during a meeting on Monday with the Independent Police Oversight Authority, the IPOA, that extrajudicial killings by police must end. Several Kenyan police officers are expected to go on trial this week for the killings of two Indian nationals who advised Ruto's election campaign. Analysts say the trial of the officers who were with the now disbanded Special Services Unit is a step forward in ending police abuse. Victoria Amuga reports from Nairobi. Five more police officers who are members of a disbanded special services unit went on trial Monday for murders of two Indian nationals, Zulfikar Ahmed Han and Mohammed Zaid Sami Kidwai, and their taxi driver Nicodemus Mwania. Four other officers had been tried last week in connection with the murders. Kenyan President William Ruto wants the Independent Police Oversight Authority, IPOA, to draw a plan that will help end extrajudicial killings in Kenya. An August 2022 report by Human Rights Watch found that the failure of Kenyan authorities to address accountability of past abuses by police heightened the risk for more abuse. George Musamali, a security analyst in Kenya, says arresting the officers and trying them is a sign of progress. You'll find that in Kenya, we've been having a lot of misuse of this because uh, sometimes you'll find that people who are even innocent, there's no evidence that these people are, are, are a danger to national security. You'll find them being eliminated. And this is what we are trying to deal with right now. And I believe uh, the Ruto government will go to the bottom of this. Rights groups such as Amnesty International say police abuse could completely end if the inquiries were extended to all other police units. Dimas Kiprono is a campaign manager at Amnesty International. Expand the inquiry into other formations. There are violations that have happened by the ATPU. There are violations by other uh, police units 
and formations. There are violations by certain um, police stations are notorious. ATPU stands for Anti-Terrorism Police Unit. Investigations into the killing last week of Pakistani investigative journalist Ashadi Sharif by Kenyan police are underway. According to the police, Sharif's murder was a case of mistaken identity. Kenya's Director of Public Prosecution, Nurdin Haji, said last week that 12 police officers, most of them senior officials, will face charges of crimes against humanity concerning a crackdown on post-election protest in 2017. According to the Kenya National Commission on Human Rights, 94 people were killed at the time and more than 300 were injured. In a statement, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, commended Haji's decision, which the United Nations say is an advance toward accountability for gross human rights violations in Kenya. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi. In Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, hundreds of students marched to the Ministry of Education on Monday in support of the president of the Swaziland National Association of Teachers, also known as SNAT. The students say SNAT president Mbongwa Dlamini is being victimized by the government for standing up for Eswatini teachers. In August this year, Mbongwa instructed teachers not to go to school out of concern for their own safety. This after a group calling itself the Swaziland International Solid Solidarity Forces called for the closure of schools to protest the continued incarceration of two members of parliament. In response, the government withheld Dramini's paycheck. Dramini tells me the students and other unionists want to know what happened to his paycheck and his overall status as a teacher. This month, just before the payday, I got rumors that uh, my pay will be stopped by the Ministry of Education or by the government. So what actually happened is that I tried to gather that information moving up and down in the ministry's offices to no help by anyone. But what I discovered is that during the, the pay date, what actually happened, my, my salary was deposited into my account and later retrieved by the Treasury Department, which means that my salary was stopped this month. Uh, I was not paid. So in support of the students and the teachers, and also the mass democratic movement, meaning the political parties and other civil organizations, we decided to march to Mbabane to demand the salary from the government. So what did the government say, or the Ministry of Education? They have not yet responded, because uh, from the memorandum that we delivered today, or the petition that we delivered today, we gave the ministry to respond by close of business Friday, coming Friday. I did speak with the government spokesperson, Alfias Umale. He indicated that um, the issue was that you were absent from school and that you told teachers not to go to class. The issue when I said teachers should not attend to school was in August this year. It was after threats that we received from people whom we do not know. One uh, called himself Commander of Solidarity Forces, who are attacking people, especially those who support the government these days. Now, in the process, they issued threats towards teachers saying that they do not expect any teacher to attend to school. I think it was the 8th of August. We wrote to government to try and get their position in terms of providing security measures to the schools and as well to the teachers. Unfortunately, government did not respond. So we had no option but to warn our members not to attend for their safety. That is what I did. And I received 
a letter of complaint from the school's manager saying that I misconducted myself by warning teachers not to go to school. I responded to those letters and there were no charges that were preferred against me that afternoon. In less than four days down the line, I received a letter from the same school's manager citing that I have absented myself about nine days from school. So these days that they were talking about or that, that they've cited, there were those days where I was attending to union duties. And these union duties were even sanctioned by my immediate supervisor, which is their school head teacher. So as things stand right now, what is your situation? I, I don't understand even the implication of that situation because you work so that it can be paid. Now, if your employer decides to stop paying you without giving you any explanation, so you don't know whether you should continue working or the implication of the stoppage of the salary might mean that you are suspended, might mean that you are you are fired. I don't know what exactly it means. So that is what we also demand. We want you to get the answers as to what is the implication of the action by the government. Thank you so much again. It's always nice to talk with you. You're welcome, James. Mbongo Adaramini is the president of the Swaziland National Association of Teachers. He was speaking with us from the capital, Mbabane. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, the first day of November. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The first ever Mobile World Congress, the MWC in Africa, just concluded in Kigali, Rwanda. It brought together over 2,000 participants representing global mobile operators, device manufacturers, technology providers, vendors, content owners, and policymakers. As Diana Ariza reports from Kigali, they discussed the measures and policies needed to accelerate mobile penetration and Internet coverage in Africa. The meeting took place at a time when African countries are having productive discussions with broadband sellers to bridge the connectivity gap. According to the Global System for Mobile Communications, GSMA, Mobile Economy Statistics, mobile usage gap in 2021 stood at 3.2 billion people or 41% of the global population. Part of the Mobile World Congress Africa 2022 was a 5G summit which looked at commercial 5G services with a particular focus on Africa where stakeholders are taking steps to accelerate the transition to 5G. Elizabeth Miguala, the vice president for Qualcomm, shares the best ways to roll out 5G in Africa. Every 10 years, the mobile goes through a G. So 2020 is the, is the decade of 5G or MG2020. So it's not taking long, it's on time. I mean, the more developed countries are, are just now beginning to roll out and update. We should have the policies in place. The technology will be mature enough for Africa to adopt. My perspective is that this is correct timing for us, but we just need to leverage the experiences of other regions, not to make the same mistakes they have made, and be able to accelerate our adoption. 
As the world emerges from the pandemic and social and economic activities begin to recover, connectivity will continue to play a vital role in the way people live and businesses operate. African Nenda, an African financial services institution, launched the State of Instant and Inclusive Payment Systems Report 2022 at the Mobile World Congress. The report benchmarks instant payments in Africa and highlights how they can create opportunities and advance financial inclusion for people and businesses in Africa. Speaking to VOA Radio, Akinwale Goodluck, the Deputy Chief Executive Officer of Africa Nenda, sheds light on the status of Instant and Inclusive Payment Systems Report 2022. We've launched the 2022 State of Instant Payments Systems Report for Africa. It's a, it's a very comprehensive report. Uh, it has surveyed the whole of Africa. It has come up with a number of instant payment systems in Africa. There are different stages terms of transaction values, transaction volumes, and trends, and the future. I think there's a strong correlation between mobile penetration and financial inclusion. Rwanda's Minister of ICT and Innovation, Paula Musoni, one of the main guest speakers at the MWC, commended the report and Africa Nanda's support to transforming other aspects such as Africa's IPS, especially on cross-border trade and person-to-person payments establishment, but asked the organization to consider doing research on the fintech ecosystem to deeply inform the market operations. I'm Dana Iriza reporting from Kigali, Rwanda for Daybreak Africa. For the past two weeks, VOA has been profiled in 10 finalists in the 2022 African Digital Innovation Competition sponsored by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and other prestigious partners. The competition attracted more than 1,700 applications from entrepreneurs across the continent who have launched startups in various sectors. The Voice of America Africa Division, a partner in this initiative, produced video profiles of 10 finalists from which the final top three winners would be chosen. In an exclusive interview on Viewers Africa 54 TV program, Scott Isner, President, U.S. Africa Business Center and Senior Vice President, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and Travis Atkins, President and CEO of the U.S. Africa Development Foundation, announced the top three finalists. They are Imodoye Abioro, CEO Healthbotics Nigeria, Frank Nana Ade, CEO of Shapak Ghana, and Ore Olomende, CEO of Grow Agric Kenya. VOA's Paul Undiho spoke with the winners following the announcement. This is an amazing piece of news. Uh, I am so excited. It's, it represents an entirely new dimension for what we do at Healthbotics, and I'm so grateful. Uh, Healthbotics has come a really long way uh, since our pilot, and we've been supported all through it by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Let's go to Ghana. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, I can't, I can't even hide my excitement. I'm really excited about this. And I want to thank the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce African Business Unit and also U.S. African Development Foundation for this opportunity. Um, at Shopper, we believe that the informal retailers are the backbone of the, of the African continent, driving the African economy. And we're actually happy um, helping these uh, retailers um, uh, by connecting them to manufacturers of fast-moving consumer goods. And we are really, really excited about this opportunity. And I want to thank the organizers and everyone and my team as well. I'm really, really excited. Uh, last but not least, let's go to the only lady on the panel. 
I'm, I'm glad to be representing the ladies. Um, this is this is very amazing. This is great news for us to be recognized as an ag tech that is looking to build a farmer first organization. And um, we strongly believe that with the partnership and, and with this um, award, we would be able to even impact more farmers. We're very passionate about the SDG goals, increasing farmers' revenue, helping them um, farm better and better, and the opportunity to be able to even do that much more just makes us really excited. And I just want to say big well done to my entire team as well, because without them, we would not be here today. Well, uh, let's uh, turn it over back to the studio. What does this mean uh, for these uh, three finalists? Well, this is this is amazing. It's so uh, heartwarming for the team, Gavera Yao at the chamber, and everyone else to uh, to see these bright faces come on screen and, and the partnerships that they're going to drive and really change and transform the world uh, as well as their countries. It's been a great partnership, as I mentioned, with VOA, Prosper Africa, Sebastian, Microsoft, AWS, Trimble, ATC, Standard Bank, and Cosmos Innovation Center in Ghana. They've all been amazing partners in helping make sure that these uh, young companies grow old with us uh, and so it's been really exciting but the most exciting part is what Travis has to tell you all uh, as you get towards the finalist phase. Uh, Travis, uh, you are the money guy. Uh, you are the person with deep pockets here. What, <laughs> what should we expect? Well first let me just say uh, that we absolutely share in the joy uh, of the winners or the top three finalists from today. It's wonderful to see uh, in terms of the monetary front at USADF, we don't want to leave anybody behind. And so the first thing I'm honored to share is that through our grant mechanism, actually the top 10 finalists will all receive $10,000 each uh, for their businesses and, and their endeavors. Uh, the five regional champions would receive an additional $5,000 on top of that $10,000. Uh, the third place winner, uh, one of whom would be on screen with us today, would receive an additional $15,000. The second place winner would receive an additional $20,000. And the first place winner, in addition to all that other money, would receive an additional $25,000. Wow, interesting. Uh, let me go back to the Skype guests. Uh, how do you feel about that uh, uh, announcement? Uh, you are going to make some, uh, you know, some good money. Any quick uh, reactions from you guys? Uh, very glad to hear that. Very happy, definitely, to hear that. I think um, it's safe to say on behalf of all of us that we could do so much good and have so much impact with that money. And the good thing about grants like this is it tends to go have an impact as we go down the line. So this grant doesn't just affect for us, the first farmers we work with. It affects the families of the farmers. So we look at the impact in terms of how far we can go. We're even much wider people in the community. So very excited to hear that. Uh, how about you? Do you want to weigh in as well? Yeah, uh, it's really incredible uh, what this kind of grant does uh, to companies like ours. Um, we help hospitals in rural Nigeria see an average of a million five hundred thousand patients every year. And some of these patients, if these hospitals were shut down, would have to go three, four kilometers before they could get health care. Uh, the only reason why they have health care in their neighborhood, in their villages, is because we exist. And so these kind of grants basically open up access to health care to people who otherwise would be shut off from it. And so we're so grateful and thankful for this opportunity. Yeah, sure. Um, thank you very much. I mean, uh, for us, it means a lot to us uh, because, like I said earlier, we're actually digitizing the informal retail space here in Africa since they are more like the, the, the backbone of the African economy. And for us, winning this grant would actually help us 
to make the impact that you want to make in the lives of these informal retailers. Most of them struggle to be able to have inventory and also unable to access credit facilities and stuff like that. So it's really um, an exciting news for us and an exciting moment for us, for us to be able to impact more lives in the life of these informal retailers. Um, it's, it's really a great opportunity. Imodoye Abioro, CEO, Health Botics, Nigeria, Frank Nana Ade, CEO of Shepard Ghana, and Ore Olomende, CEO of Grow Agri Kenya. They are the three winners of the 2022 African Digital Innovation Competition. They spoke with viewers Paul Ndiho. All 10 finalists will each receive $10,000, and the top winner who will be announced at the Africa Leaders Summit in December will receive more than $30,000. And that's it for this Tuesday, November 1st edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Button, Washington, wishing that you will have an amazing Tuesday.